Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Judges, chapters 11 and 12. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Look at verse 27. I love this. May the Lord, the judge, give judgment. But the king of Ammon, he didn't listen to a word he said. And so the battle is on. Look at verse 29. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mitzvah of Gilead. And from Mitzvah of Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah noticed this, underlined it, highlighted it, made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return home from the battle in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up. Now, you must pay attention. He says, I'm going to read it again. He says in verse 30, Jephthah made a vow. He said, Lord, if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them from Arior, as far as Mineth, 20 cities, and to Abel, Kerameen, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Now, stop right there. This is the third judge or the third time in the book of Judges that we are told that the Holy Spirit came upon one of the judges. The other two would be Othniel and Gideon. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon an individual to empower them for service. In the New Testament, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon us to empower us for service. Taking notes, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it was Jesus who said, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And so the filling of the Spirit empowered Jephthah to advance and be and to begin to to conquer the enemy. But then notice in your Bibles in verse 30, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, God, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give you the first thing I see in my front yard when I come back to my house. Now, he's probably thinking the first thing he's going to see is a bull or a sheep or a goat, or something like that. So Jephthah cleaned 
their clocks, the Ammonites, and he wiped them out. And the Ammonites were defeated and beaten by the children of Israel, and God got a great victory that day. But then notice what happens in verse 34 of chapter 11. If you're there, say amen. When Jephthah came to his house at Mitzvah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. And she was his only child because he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me. Why? For I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, my father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. And then she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I might go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity and my friends and I. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. In other words, she was never married. And it was so that at the end of the two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man. She had never had sexual intercourse or relations with a man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. And so God gave him the victory. And sure enough, when Jephthah comes home, the first thing he sees is his spirit-filled Pentecostal daughter coming out to meet dad with the timbrels and the dancing and having a good time in Jesus. Did you see that? That's how my kids meet me when I come home, by the way. <laughs> Did you know? And when he saw her, what happened? He tore his clothes and he said, man, I can't believe it. I am sad because I've given my word to the Lord and I can't go back on my vow. You see, Jephthah made the vow probably thinking she wouldn't be home. Maybe she'd be at the mall. Maybe she's hanging out with her friends. But he did not expect to see her as the first one in the yard when he comes home. So when he gets home, he sees her. His heart is broken and life is shattered because his only child has been offered to the Lord. And so he was truthful and honest with his daughter and he told her all that happened and the vow that he made. Now notice again in verse 37, the daughter said, Dad, you got to do what you got to do. You got to keep your word. If you made a vow to the Lord, then you got to keep it. But allow me to go for two months and bewail my virginity with my friends. And at the end of the two months, she returned and he carried out his vow, which he made to the Lord. And every year, the daughters of Israel for four days would take the time to remember and lament the daughter of Jephthah. Now, having said that, be that as it may, this text is very controversial and uh, often a very confusing story. So I'm going to add to the controversy and the confusion, okay? Many commentators will tell you that this story should teach you 
what not to do about vows, making a vow to the Lord. And although I don't completely disagree with that, I don't completely agree with it either. Why? Well, because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, you can look it up in your own time again, but it's on the screen for you. And there, see, here in Hebrews chapter 32, or chapter 11, verse 32, we, we call chapter 11 God's hall of faith. And there are only a few men who are inducted into the hall of faith. And one of them, you can see it on the screen, is Jephthah. Jephthah's in the hall of faith. Now, in Psalm 15, very, very interesting Psalm, in Psalm 15, in verse 1 through 4, it says this, Who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now, God is saying these are the people who can dwell in his tabernacle. These are the people, in other words, God is saying that the person who takes a vow and makes a pledge and proclaims a promise, even if it hurts him, he does not go back on what he said he would do. This is the kind of man or woman that God is looking for. And Jephthah did that. And that's why his name is in the Hall of Fame, because he made a vow and he kept his vow. Now, herein lies the controversy, the million-dollar question. Did Jephthah really kill or offer his daughter as a sacrifice? This is what is debatable. Look in your Bibles again. In verse 31, Jephthah says, Whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I come in victory shall surely be the Lord's, and circle that word, I will offer it up for a burnt offering. I had you circle the word and because in the Hebrew language, this word and can be translated or. Can be translated or. So then it would read this. Whatever comes out of the door of my house shall be the Lord's or I will offer it up for a burnt offering. In other words, the first thing that greets me, he says, I will give to the Lord or I will offer it up as a sacrifice and an offering to the Lord. So some believe this. Some believe this means he didn't actually offer up his daughter as a burnt offering, but gave her to the Lord. And she went with her friends to the mountains for two months and later lived as a nun, if you will, by herself for the rest of her life. And other virgins came to visit and fellowship with her for four days each year. So it is very possible that she wasn't killed by dad, but was sent away to live in isolation. If you understand, say amen. Trying to keep this very simple. That is possible, although, let me just say, I don't think it's very probable. That's not likely. It would seem 
from the language and the clear reading of the text, it leans strongly to the fact that he probably did offer her as a burnt offering. As you read it, the clear reading of the text, which is what we lean to. That's why it's a debate. But it seems that he actually did. But either way, because the dad made a commitment to the Lord, it's going to be heartbreaking to send her off to the mountains forever or to offer her as a burnt offering. But now let me just say this here. You got to understand something. In this culture, it was not an unheard of thing to offer people as a sacrifice. Did God approve it? Never. Did people do it? Yes. Remember Abraham and Isaac? Nobody questioned that. He's taking his son to offer him. It was a common thing in those days. Although God didn't approve of it, people did do it. So this is not really that shocking and that alarming in that he would take his daughter and offer her as a sacrifice. That's not that uncommon. So it's very possible that he did. And it's possible that he didn't. It is a debate. And I wanted to give you both sides of it. I think the point of it is here and that we need to see is that Jephthah was a man of commitment. And this is what I want you to understand and take away from this text. Not all that fact stuff. I just do that so people ever question you about it. You understand it. But 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 I but the thing that we need to take away from this is that Jephthah was a man of commitment that we live because he committed to offer to the Lord the first thing he saw and he did. And I bring that up to you because we live in a culture where people are not committed to anything. If you know that, say amen. People are not committed. You hear about all these people getting prenuptial agreements. And why would you marry somebody that's like, you got to sign a paper that you won't take any of your stuff before if you ever. What's up with that? Right going into the marriage, I'm already telling you, I don't trust you, dude. I'm keeping my stuff. You're already saying that. We live in a culture where people don't keep commitments. Couples say all the time, I officiate marriage ceremonies for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. Until what? Death do us part. How many couples have said, honey, on this day, standing before our family and our friends, I pledge, I promise, I proclaim that I will be here for better or for worse, for richer or for poor. Couples say, I'll be here and I don't care how bad our marriages get and what you need to do and how hard things get. I'm going to be here, honey. That's what you're saying in that marriage ceremony. And it's amazing how quickly People break their commitments. Psalm 15 tells us the blessed man is he who keeps his commitment, even if it brings hurt like Jephthah. And God wants Christians to be the company of the committed. How often do people make commitments and then they break them? Oh, I hear too often, even Christians. You know, we make commitments to the Lord. How often I hear people say, you know, God, you know, if you would cause this test result to come back negative from cancer, God, I'll serve you all the days of my life. Test results come back negative. You serve God all of one week. And that's what happens. Lord, if you will do this, I promise to be in church on Wednesday night. And then, oh, Little League. And the only night they have Little League for Johnny. Don't take it personal. For Johnny. 
not this Johnny, but Johnny, not Rivera, but Johnny Appleseed or something. I don't know. Oh, it's Little League night, and you know, we got to get to church. I mean, this kind of stuff really does happen. And people start putting God on the back burner and start doing the things that they need to do in in and with God's time. Don't ever, ever do that. I, I, I heard of, you know, men who would tell me, you know, you know, I got, I got, you know, pastor, I got this job and, you know, this job is coming along. Great, man. Paying a lot of money. Great, man. Going to be able to catch up on bills. Great, man. Well, the only problem is what? Well, I've got to be there on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. That's the only times that they can really have me. And, then, you know, I can, what do you think? I'm like, don't take the job. What? Well, I've got to take care of my family. You know, I'll be worse than an infidel if I don't. Yeah, I know. But I'll tell you what, if you put God first in everything you do, God will open up something else, somewhere else, and pay you just as much, maybe even more, if you would take the time to trust him and always put him first and always keep your commitments. Amen, saints? Don't ever start breaking your commitments. Always put God first. You know, talking about commitments in Second Samuel is a great story. The Philistines are coming um, um, after God's people because they want to take over. Get this and look this up in yours. A great story. Second Samuel 23. The, the Philistines are coming and they want to take over a lentil bean field. And everyone's running and they're fearful. They're afraid for their lives. The Philistines are coming. The Philistines are coming. The men of David were outnumbered. And David said to this one guy named Shama, he said, he said, I want you to stay here. This one guy, he said, I want you to stay here and guard the beans. He's probably like, oh, guard the beans. Man, don't you know I'm a warrior, man? I can kill people and I can help out. And you want me to guard the beans? And David said, yeah, man, guard the beans. And while everyone was running and everyone was afraid, this guy was great. Shama said, I'm staying here because I made a commitment to guard the beans and I will die guarding the beans. I mean, think about that. Think about his commitment. He was willing to die guarding the beans. Would I do that? Would you do that? I mean, we'd be like, forget the beans, man. I mean, the Philistines are overrunning us. We would think rational. Stand here and guard the lentil beans. Hello, if I'm not alive, I won't need any beans. And neither will you. And so he said, guard the beans. He did that. And because he made a commitment to guard the beans, God says, okay, I'm going to use you. And Shama, get this, took on the whole Philistine army and wiped him out. And it was that day that God honored the man who guarded the beans. Can I just tell you? Guard the beans. Amen. Matter of fact, let me do something I don't ever do, okay? Look at your neighbor and tell them to guard the beans. Go ahead, go ahead. Guard the beans. Guard the beans. Hey, maybe God has called you. Listen, I'm coming in for a close, all right? Listen, maybe God has called you to guard the beans. Maybe your job is to serve in the rest home quietly. Maybe your job is to serve in the children's ministry prayerfully. Maybe your job is to change the poopy diapers in the nursery carefully. 
But whatever the Lord's given you to do, you need to stand your ground, do it with all your heart, and don't run even when everybody else is flaking out. You need to say, you know what? I am willing to die in this nursery, which you probably will. But you need to say that because you've got to guard the beans. And this is what the Bible says. A faithful servant, God is looking for a steward to be faithful. Jesus said, if you're faithful in small things, garden the beans. I'll make you master and ruler over much. So guard the beans. Keep your commitment. That's what Jephthah did, and that's why he made it in the Hall of Fame. Give me three minutes. Chapter 12. Look at three men, three minutes, chapter 12, verse one, say amen if you're there. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward the Zephon and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. Now, stop right there. (laughs) Sorry. Three minutes, clock me, all right? In chapter eight of Judges. The Ephraimites, and you met them before, these guys were whiners. These guys were complainers. They got upset with Gideon because he didn't include them in the battle. You remember that? And Gideon was nice and Gideon was diplomatic. And so it's these same guys now, the Ephraimites, who come to Jephthah and they say, how come you didn't have us in the battle? And Jephthah basically said, look, and throughout the chapter, read it in your own time. Jephthah said, look, just, just, just shut up. In the Hebrew, he says, shut up. He says, I asked you to come and you didn't come. You see, these guys were whiners. And then Jephthah says, when I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life in my own hands. I crossed over against the people of Ammon, and God gave them the victory. And so Jephthah called the men of Gilead and fought against his own people. Jephthah struck the Ephraimites down. And whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked them, are you an Ephraimite? I'm giving you the chapter here. And if they replied no, notice in verse 6, are you an Ephraimite in verse 5? And if they said no, then they would say to him, then say, Shibboleth. And he would say, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of Jordan. There fell at the time 42,000 Ephraimites. Now, these guys, they, 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 they couldn't say, they couldn't say the H in Shibboleth. And this is how Jephthah knew that these guys were Ephraimites. He said, are you an Ephraimite? And they say, yeah. They say, no, no, we're not an Ephraimite. He go, really? Say Shibboleth. And they'd go, Sibboleth. They've got this list of Sibboleth. I mean, you know, it just, you know, the Bible is hysterical. I don't know what you guys read. I think it's hysterical. And so he just did Sibboleth, you know, and he goes, oh, you and Ephraimite, all right? And, and he takes them and kills them. You know, it just reminded me, i just tell you quick, this just reminded me, like when I was in church and we used to have testimony service. And, you know, and then people would get up and they'd say, 
you know, praise God, give an honor to God. You know, testimony service, you can stand up and say what you want. And, you know, praise God, give an honor to God, and they give their testimony. And then a lot of people would say at the end, and it gives, if they couldn't say strength, they would say, I pray my strength in the Lord. That was kind of like the tagline. You know, I pray my strength in the Lord. But some people, a lot of people, for some reason, can't say strength. And they would say strength. And they go, I, you know, thank God, pray my strength in the Lord. You know, and, and so they couldn't really say it. I mean, there's just some words that you just really can't say. And like some people, they can't say shrimp. They say scrimp. You know, I like to have an order of scrimp. I'm like, okay, you, you know what that means. You know what I'm saying, all right? So they couldn't say shibboleth. They said thibboleth. And they, they just, that's just the way it came out. And that's how he knew that, that, that they were, that they were Evenites. And you know, it was really interesting because during World War II, it's really interesting because the German soldiers sometimes identify Russian Jews by, by the way that they pronounce the word, uh, Coca, Rosa. The way they would tell them to say that word. And if they couldn't say it right, the, 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 the Germans would know Based on their pronunciation of that word, it revealed their ethnic background. So what was true for them was also true here. And that's how, that's how Jephthah got a great victory and killed 42,000 Ephraimites simply because they had a speech impediment. Isn't that interesting? Verse 8 through 15 gives us three more major judges. You can check that out for yourself. Let me tell you something. You don't want to miss next week. Because the people fall away from the Lord again. They're chastised by the Philistines for 40 years. And next week and the following week, we're going to look at the effects of sin in the life of a very famous, tall and good looking guy. His name. No, not me. I know what you guys are thinking. But but uh, you know who Samson. You don't want to miss it. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.